growing up as an immigrant, it was just natural to code switch because your parents come from a particular culture and might still use the language of their homeland and they have customs that they don't want to to change because that's what they grew up with. It's okay to code switch when it makes sense or when it's fun. When it's not okay is when you feel like you're forced to code switch. Come with your personality to your day-to-day. Decide, like, what is one thing that makes you authentically you, that brings you to life? Heyo, welcome to the Asian Detox Podcast, the podcast where we boldly reclaim Asian American prosperity. We have relatable conversations about how being Asian American shows up in our day-to-day lives, how money is deeply embedded in our culture, and how you can choose to define your own version of success in a world that tries to tell us how to be. I'm your host, TJ Wei, your hashtag very Asian, non-binary, gluten and dairy-free money habits coach, and I want you to know that you don't have to live in the boxes other people put you in. You can design your abundant life in a way that honors your heritage, while enjoying a life of ease and alignment. And you can do it while making money and building generational wealth. I'm more comfortable traveling to Japan by myself than visiting my family in Atlanta. And by the way, guys, in case you didn't know, I am American-born Chinese, so ABC for those of you who know, which means that there is no reason that I should feel more comfortable in a foreign country with a foreign language than in my own country visiting my family. But here we are. Some of this is because Japanese culture is very accessible in America now with manga and anime available via the internet and through large publishers like Viz. So this isn't unheard of, especially because the Japanese are extremely good at documenting their culture and accurately representing their locations, actually, in their manga. Like, they literally get reference pictures of, like, Shibuya Station and draw exactly what it looks like in their manga. And their media typically teaches their audience about customs that they have and want to maintain. So it's not completely unheard of that I feel comfortable there because not only... Do I already have cultural context that I can absorb before arriving in many settings that are very easy to read or listen to or watch rather? When you go to Tokyo, Tokyo is a very English friendly place. Like the signs have English on them. It is so easy and you can do pre-research on the internet, of course, and Google will actually do um, the Google Maps. If you try to Google from like your hotel to a certain location, it'll tell you exactly which subway station to get on and off, what bus number you need, and how much it will cost you. And of course, transportation in Japan is so efficient and accurate that like down to the the second even, like even if there's 30 seconds difference, they will apologize actually. Um, You can plan your route and know from signage when the next train is going to come if you missed it. So Japan is extremely comfortable to go to but I still need to point out that that's not my culture. But it's really easy for me to code switch into Japanese culture because I have so much context and I did take one year of Japanese in high school and I enjoy doing that. That is fun to me. And in the sense that code switching is defined as when a 
non-dominant person, like a, a minority, has to adapt or consciously or unconsciously changes their behavior, the words they use, how they dress to match the dominant culture of where they're located or where they're at at the time. That is the fun version for me of code switching. In America, however, it's usually used as a negative term. And I would agree for most instances, but I would say that growing up as an immigrant, it was just natural to code switch because your parents come from a particular culture and might still use the language of their homeland and they have customs that they don't want to to change because that's what they grew up with. And now like by the time that they're in another country, they're probably at least 30. So they've gone most of their life in their old culture and they don't even think about all these subconscious things that they do or expect of their family members to do for them or with them. And that is just how it is. So when you're the child of immigrants or if you're like, you came over when you were super young and your parents or your aunt or uncle or grandparents have certain expectations, you just try to accommodate them because you're a child. First of all, you you don't have your own independence regardless of how much Americans laud independence as a big piece of our culture. As a kid, you can't do much about it. So at home, you do what you need to do to accommodate your family. And then you go to school or you go to work. And then you have to code switch into whatever that culture says that you have to do. And that's just a natural part of being an immigrant or the child of immigrants. So although when we talk about what code switching is, it's typically considered something negative that we would love to get rid of. The reality is that you can't get rid of it because there's always going to be immigrants. People are going to move countries. It's very natural. So there's always going to be some level of code switching. And I acknowledge that leads to a major mental strain and can lead to mental health issues. In fact, I live with depression, anxiety, and suicidal ideation. And I want to uh, say it specifically in that way. I live with it. I consider this a chronic illness for myself. This is an identity that I do not want to let go of because clearly here I am talking in public about it for other people to hear. So talking about mental health and being transparent, and I've been transparent in a lot of spaces, and I am comfortable doing that. So even if I am ever in a better spot where I feel stable, I don't want to give up that identity. So I want to note that because it really feels like it ties into this concept of having to code switch. In fact, I saw a quote from Jim Carrey about how depression is your body saying, I don't want to be this character anymore. I don't want to hold up this avatar that you've created in the world. It's too much for me. And this is coming from an actor. So it really emphasizes to me how much an actual professional actor, somebody who gets paid to act, says that this is causing depression for him. And he's doing it both professionally and most likely as a celebrity acting in a particular way to appease media and the public. So if somebody who is trained on how to act like not themselves, then for us who aren't professional actors or not trained that way to constantly be trying to fit into the toxic expectations other people have of us uh, and behave in ways that we wouldn't want to naturally if we had been given the choice, that can be extremely draining and just a huge mental toll. So I think that the concept of code switching is extremely tied into my mental health 
And I definitely find that now that I don't work in corporate America, that I get to dress how I want, take breaks when I need it, and all of these other like lifestyle design things that have really helped me out. I won't say that I'm like 100% better or anything. I still take antidepressants and they're extremely functional for me. So if you are considering it, I would definitely try it if you are open to taking medication or finding any other professional help. I don't consistently go to a therapist. It's kind of a challenge because honestly, um, just a lot of things. Sometimes it's scheduling, uh, sometimes it's consistency, and sometimes um, even though those online apps are extremely popular these days, they don't actually want the liability of working with somebody who's suicidal. I've actually been screened out of those apps before, so just fair warning that it's actually harder for those of us who identify as suicidal to get help. So that's just my my little tangent there about mental health, but it's like I really want to convey to people that the immigrant experience is taxing and it's very common for especially immigrants who are told they have to be high achievers. So in the Asian space if your your culture is like learning forward and they prioritize like getting into college and getting a knowledge worker job, those types of things that usually typically come with like more of a like prestige orientation where you have to accomplish all these things while you're young so that you can be deserving of being an elite when you're older. And that is even worse because it's like a weird cyclical thing, really, where you're constantly trying to appease other people and act in a way that would like make you that model minority ideal while also making yourself so busy that you don't have time to reflect on yourself, to look inward, to ask yourself if this is what you really want. Is this your actual identity or something that other people have told you that you need to do? You don't have the the space to to rest or heal or address any of the the stressors that are being put on both your body and your mental health. And that is a terrible cycle to be in because not only are you not getting to address those things for yourself, and it's not like we teach people how or like make space for it in our education system. But the inverse is also true where I find that when I'm feeling depressed, I leverage those expectations to get me out of bed and out of the door to go do things because I have this structure of expectations of like, okay, I just need to go to work today, even if I'm super depressed and I would rather stay at home all day and rest and watch TV or do some yoga or meditate. I'm not really into yoga or meditating that much, but like it's just an example. That cycle of trying to fill the hole of like not knowing what's wrong by distracting myself with accomplishments or doing things that other people think I should do is very real. So it's very common actually for high achievers to also be depressed or have anxiety because they're actually resolving those symptoms or they're trying to address those symptoms by being high achievers. So another PSA that I have for you is just all the much more of the expectation for immigrants and immigrant children to to do that. So even though mental health is not a commonly accepted thing for Asian Americans or Asians in general, it is a very real need. And I recently actually had some conversations about this around how Typically, Asians are considered like 
non-emotional. They like to be stoic. They don't talk about their feelings. They don't say I love you to their parents or to their family members. And how like that's the very task-oriented logic side of the culture. And actually that like Eastern medicine with acupuncture and chiropractic and other forms of Eastern medicine are meant to address the emotional and spiritual side of your life. And because we're in America, we tend to leave those behind because we didn't bring all of those Eastern medicine doctors over with us. Or even if we did, they've, the prioritization has been shoved down underneath the achieving culture that we have or the, the frugal culture we have because we just need to make it. We have to earn our place in America. So we end up neglecting those parts of our lives that maybe people in the Eastern culture have a little bit more balanced way of addressing them. And in America, we happen to have abandoned those parts of our culture. So we get extremely unbalanced. And so mental health is a huge part of my concern about Asian American culture, and especially those of us that are like recent immigrants or immigrant children. And that's why I want to talk to people today about what it is like to code switch and why, for instance, I just visited my family in Atlanta, why that was more stressful. Because in Arizona, I get to be mostly my whole self. I still conform to like business norms when I go on business trips or I'm on video calls with people. But for the most part, I get to be me and I feel confident that I get to do that. But I found the moment I landed in Atlanta, I had to be the good guest, like the good house guest with my aunt and uncle. And then I was visiting my cousins and they have three young kids. So I realized recently I have different expectations of how I should behave in front of not only my like distant family, but also just small children in general. Like I'm over here in Arizona in short shorts and a crop top. And then I realized that like in front of young kids, my expectations of myself were different. And I haven't fully resolved that. But what the experience was mentally for me was that was more stressful. I had to put on a costume that I wasn't used to wearing anymore of how to be a family member in a blended Asian situation where my my aunt and uncle and my cousin related to me by blood are Chinese. And then um, the kids are mixed with the wife is, she's Caucasian um, Jewish. So it was interesting navigating. Like I'm still in America in a city where like the signs are familiar, but I'd never been to Atlanta. And like everything's in English, but I'm still like trying to observe like, what are the social norms with my family? Like, what do they expect of me as a house guest? Like, how Asian does this need to be? How polite, how helpful? Like all of these things were so much more stressful than when I visit Japan by myself, even though like you would think that being with my family should be relaxing. Um, Though I think a decent amount of us Asian Americans recognize that actually being with your family after you've become an independent adult and moved out of the house can be actually very stressful. As a first-generation Asian American, I grew up trying to fit into the boxes other people put me in. I considered acting, voice acting, and writing as career options when I was little, but ended up joining corporate America as an IT project manager to take the Asian parent-approved path. The good news is, it's not too late for me to follow those more creative goals, but I didn't have the energy to work both my corporate job and follow those passions. And I couldn't shake the cultural directive to be financially stable so that my parents wouldn't have to worry about me. 
It's so ingrained in me that it's difficult to focus on more creative pursuits or what might be considered passion projects without the financial backing to support myself. That's why I'm such a big fan of building systems and financial foundations that leverage my hashtag very Asian frugal money habits and the more expansive abundance mindset that I strive to embody every day. While sitting at my corporate job feeling like there must be more to life than this, I spent years learning and absorbing information about how to become financially independent, invest in real estate and stocks, and build a business. And now, I'm on track to retire by 40. But more than that, I have the freedom to dress how I want, because how I dress now is certainly not considered professional, adopt unconventional pronouns, and work fewer hours to support my physical and mental health. I get to choose what clients I work with, who I spend time with, and what boundaries I need to set in order to keep the toxic expectations and hustle culture at bay. And I want that for you too. If you're ready to make your next big money move and build the financial foundations you need to feel like you can show up as your full self, I have an offer for you. My Generational Wealth Building Money Mentorship Program is three months of direct access to me and my brain to cut through all of the noise and conflicting information on the internet and get you where you need to be financially. Get a wealth building strategy, action plan, curated resources, and emotional support to put you on the path towards your abundant life. The link is in the show notes. So that was that was my recent reminder of what the toxic version of code switching can be. And some of that's on me and it requires some clear communication of like, hey, here's what I think you expect of me. Is that accurate? And I was definitely asking a lot of questions and I got a lot of history from my aunt about my dad actually. Um, So it was still a great trip, but it just caused me to reflect on this concept of like, I voluntarily code switched to make things easier because I was on vacation. I wasn't over there trying to make a political statement or turn this into like some kind of social media post. So I didn't like try to pose like my political views on the situation. And that was me like, I've been hearing this term recently, this concept of softness, of like softness towards myself, of like, I get to rest, I get to put down that battle and not like start an argument just to rile things up and just to like try to change the world all by myself. That wasn't going to happen. I knew that. Like I'm visiting and I'm going to go away. If I have an argument with them, they're just going to go back to how they were before. So there was no reason for me to make a fuss because one thing I did observe and I just want to share, right? I've described it's my my Chinese family and the wife's Caucasian family. And we went to a football game, the high school football game where my cousin's oldest son was in the marching band and we're in Atlanta. So the population of black people is extremely high. And you can see that just going through the airport, that the history of Atlanta is so embedded in like that Southern culture of like emancipation, civil war and all Martin Luther King Jr. is all on the wall and things like that. And I realized that like my cousins didn't, like they they had a lot of other parents come and talk to them while we were in the bandstand and not a single one of them was black. And that's my observation. I didn't like make a fuss or anything, but I was honestly disturbed. I'm still disturbed, Um, but I didn't ask them about it because I was on vacation and I wasn't here to like change the way they behave or do anything like that. 
but that like disturbed me because to be honest, I like when I knew I was going to Atlanta, I scheduled a couple of like coffee dates with other business owners and both of those people were black. And so it was like, I went on individual trips, go meet up with my black friends and then I come home and I'm talking to my family and their entire neighborhood is like predominantly white, not a single black person there, even though their high school is clearly like very well mixed. I was, it was just very disconcerting for me. But that was like my version of choosing to go ahead and code switch and not make a fuss, which definitely kind of falls into that whole like Asians should be quiet and not like keep their head down, don't make trouble, those kinds of things. And I find myself okay with that. It's okay to code switch when it makes sense or when it's fun. When it's not okay is when you feel like you're forced to code switch. So I actually am leaving to go to Philadelphia for work. First time in Philly. So last week was my first time in Atlanta. This week will be my first time in Philly. And I was thinking about, okay, well, I've been working remote this whole time. And I've been like on my webcam where you only see the top half. So I just have to put like a blazer on. So people um, still think I'm wearing like work appropriate clothes. And when I'm packing, I was like, oh, shoot, I have like all these business casual outfits that felt like they were just costumes that I was wearing. And I love costumes. I love them for like anime conventions. I cosplay. I love dressing up for Halloween. I love dressing up for the Renaissance Festival. Those costumes are fun, right? It's adult dress up where you get to be something that you're not and nobody has any expectations of you other than maybe to have an accent for the character that you're dressing up as or to behave as that character instead of as yourself. But when it comes to putting on like an everyday clothing costume of like the professional look that I have to like take into the office and wear for eight hours straight in front of other people. I looked at my clothes and I was like, oh shit, these are clothes that I haven't worn in two years during the pandemic. And this is my first business trip since then. And I was like, oh, these don't, these don't feel good. They don't feel right. They don't feel like me anymore, especially since during the pandemic, I've done so much work on myself to be my more authentic self, to to get to show up as me, as my full non-binary self as well, to emphasize that. And those office clothes just don't feel right anymore. So luckily, there'd been a few spurts of times when I'd like gone shopping and gotten clothes that would be considered work appropriate, but were a lot more me, which tends to look like asymmetrical clothing, black, gold, and maroon slash red. And those are a lot more me. So I got to, it's only a three-day trip. So I got to pack clothes that feel like me, but it was a definite moment where I had to be like, shoot, I need to to reassess. Like I need to get rid of some of these clothes that feel icky to me because they felt like a costume that didn't belong to me that would force me to be somebody that I didn't want to be anymore. So that to me is the the toxic version of code switching where putting on those clothes was somehow like putting on the feeling that I had to like fit back into a mold I didn't want to fit into anymore. And I know for a fact that the team that I'm going to be meeting in person is totally accepting of my pronouns, even though that still requires some practice on both our parts. And I showed them like my buzzed haircut where like half my hair is buzzed so that I can like look more masculine when I flip my hair that way. And they were super excited about it. So I know that they accept me the way that I want to present myself. But just the feeling of those clothes like made me feel like, 
a different person. It was just so icky. So now I have a, an errand I have to run to donate those clothes. And that is like a conscious decision I have to make. I had to spend a decent amount of mental energy figuring that out and like touching the clothes the way like the Marie Kondo like does the spark joy thing and decide that for myself of what I was willing to present myself as this time around. So that is something I want to suggest for everybody, especially as people are going back to the office to take an inventory of just start with your clothes. And it might be like the way your your house environment is or the way your cubicle is set up, things like that. But start with something small or like one category that you can clearly segment off from your life and say, hey, does this still represent who I want to be? Is this still serving me? And decide for yourself whether or not that is causing you stress or feels toxic in any way, especially for my immigrant children. It's so ingrained in us to just like naturally code switch that we're like, oh, this is normal. It's not a big deal. But we are coming out of the pandemic and people are being more out in the open now. So I think it's a good opportunity for change to like do that reassessment the same way people have been talking about the great resignation or quiet quitting in those phrases. It's another way to do that self-reflection. And I really would love for everybody to be able to bring their personality into their day-to-day, into their work. Because I find, and I was talking to my VA about this, my virtual assistant, that she she was feeling burned out at her day job. And she, her day job is a nine-to-five that I'm not related to. And so she decided one day to just take a half day and like go for a walk and go walk through nature, which by the way, great for depression. Um, And she came back the next day and she brought her personality is how she described it. That she came in being her full self and she's a very bubbly person and energetic and proactive. And she brought that energy with her and it made her day so much better than trying to like conform to this mental image of like a machine that just works through the tasks of what needs to happen and is the version of like professional that was extremely stale and didn't have any personality to it. She chose to go ahead and do things she would have like behaved in a way she would have if she was maybe like on a production set instead of in a corporate environment. And that was so much more energizing to her. So I suggest that you think about what that might look like for you. Take some time to take some deep rest and then come with your personality to your day-to-day, decide like what is one thing that makes you authentically you, that brings you to life, and consciously weave that into how you behave. Make one habit change and see what that does for you, how much stress it relieves for you, how that shows up in your body. Because especially for people with some kind of immigrant status, and it's, it's very difficult to unpick that. So pick one thing. Because we're all very used to this concept of like having to earn your place, but everybody wants to feel safe and accepted. And that's harder, I think, for immigrant children who are constantly looking for that place, especially if they didn't grow up. I I was fortunate. I grew up in the California Bay Area. So actually, Asians were the dominant culture there. And I only ran into the issue of code switching as a toxic version when I came to Arizona. Uh, So... I experienced that trauma later in my life where I was definitely better able to handle it, but still not as good as I probably would handle it 10 years down the road. And it's 
just something worth reflecting on, journal on it, go take a walk, talk to a friend about what that means for you. Because your immigrant status has no bearing on whether or not you belong. Legally, when we talk about like whether or not you have a right to be in America, for those of you who were like born here, you were automatically given that right by the Constitution. And for those of you naturalized in or have a green card, you're going through the process, you're doing all the legal steps. So whether or not other people in the dominant culture try to call you out based off of the way you look because they can clearly see that you're not white, that has no bearing on whether or not you belong. And my heart goes out to you if you've ever experienced that. I think most of us have at least experienced some kind of microaggression related to that. And for those of you who don't know, microaggression is like a small aggression that's like less physically violent, but typically some kind of like bullying basically around what your identity is and how it doesn't belong. It's like a way that the dominant culture sanctions you so that you'll conform to what they think you should behave as. And until you have the word for that, most people don't recognize that that's what's happening to them. So I want to share that with you because I didn't know what that was until literally last year. Um, One of my managers who happened to be an Asian woman said that word to me and I instantly was like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, now I can call these things out. So wanted to share that since it came up. But back to your homework that I would love for everybody to do is decide how to bring your personality to your life. What little tweak you can do to unpick that version of you that makes like when I look in the mirror, this is how I know I'm going through like a depressed phase. When I look in the mirror and I don't recognize myself in the mirror, that is how I know that I am going through a depression funk. And I would just want to encourage people to unpick that, like find a way to make that happen less often, to make that experience less common in your life. So that is my homework for you. Friends, mark your calendars. We are coming to the close of season one of the Asian Detox podcast. And I would love for you to join us for a post-Thanksgiving live roundtable discussion with the Asian Detox guests from season one. We will reflect on the themes of the past episodes from family legacy to navigating Eastern and Western perspectives and the differences and similarities we share as Asian Americans. And we are offering you the opportunity to join us live to ask our guests questions and listen to the roundtable discussion, give us comments and feedback about what you liked and how you related to season one and or things you would love to see coming in season two. And that will be on Tuesday, November 29th at 5 p.m. Pacific, which is 8 p.m. Eastern. And you can look for the link to RSVP in the show notes and in the bio of the Instagram account at Asian underscore detox. We are so excited to have you join us. I know that something in this episode left you feeling, oh my God, that's so me. And I want to hear about it leave a review on iTunes or tag me on social media and share your relatable story with us so that we can normalize our experiences as Asian Americans and help more people feel safe to step outside of the box. I can't wait to hear about it. You can find me on Instagram at tj.wey and don't forget to design your abundant life.